Okay. All right, I can't hear myself. That's on me. I have to turn up my own headphones individually. Well, you can't hear you because I haven't turned you on yet. Right. That helps. There we go. I was trying to figure out my own problem first. <laughs> See what happens when we take a week off? We don't know what we're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm just right. over here pressing random things. But this is Spooky South Coast, where we talk about the paranormal, as we do most Saturday nights. We weren't here last week for the Provincetown Paracon, which was a fun time. And I won't be here next week. You guys are going to do a show without me? Is that the plan? You have somebody lined up? I do. So, so far, it's going to be me talking to me. Okay. And then uh, Lynn Marie's going to join me. Okay. So... We're going to be talking to you. I mean, I think Matt's going to be here. I'm Somebody joking. has to let you in. Somebody has to let me in. No, Matt and I are going to uh, tackle it. We haven't done this in three years, so this is going to be <laughs> interesting. So I hope it all goes smoothly. Is this going to be with or without the studio cat? Uh, with. With? With, okay. for sure. There's going to be a studio cat. I'm sorry. Well, here's the problem with the idea of a studio cat. What? Is, first of all, like... They, they've redone the bathrooms now. Mm. They've like they've really spruced this place up. So we, there's nowhere to really put a cat box. Okay. All right. So this cat is going to have to be willing to come in while people are here and mm-hmm. then kind of like go outside. Can we put like a cat tent out there for it to live in? We could. I could probably come up with some interesting spots to put a cat box. There's a you lot can't. of... Th- there's a lot... Of, no, I, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> there's a lot of paranormal places that have cats. Really? Did you know that? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of haunted locations, you know, like old historic homes and stuff right. that, will, that will have cats because cats will keep the mice away and, you know, will, will kind of keep uh, any, any of the insects and rodents from getting involved in the situation. You know, because when, you, when you're protecting a place that's 300 years old, you know, you don't want rats in there. You don't want termites. You don't want right. any of these things that can cause structural problems. I mean... I can think of one place off the top of my head that has a cat, but I don't know if I've ever been to any places that do. A lot of these, I don't know if it's so much that uh, that the cat like lives in these places per se, well, but you know, there's a lot. And when you're dealing with historic places, there's a lot of old ladies that are involved with these places. They is like that to right? bring. They like to bring their cats. <laughs> I would bring my cat tonight if I was allowed to. He's super cool. He's a black cat. His name is Binks. Oh, after the time you brought your dog here, that didn't go so well for me. I brought my dog to the parking lot, and no, it did not go over well for you, <laughs> but you snuck up on me with a brand new baby in the back seat. I'm pretty sure that I walked directly toward you for a good You did, but I didn't you... realize that you were there. So. And the dog knew. The, do- <laughs> the dog knew before I did. The dog was just being a jerk. The dog is also six pounds. Let's let's put that out there. Right. You, my shepherd a, wasn't A little me. dog and a big dog. And I go and get bitten by the little dog. Right. Little dogs don't like me all that much. Big dogs, because I roll around the floor with them. I'm like, ooh, 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 goof. <laughs> well, Matt, Matt's dog and I, we have uh, a great history of, of uh, rolling around on the floor together. And we were just talking about Matt's dog before you got here. The My favorite thing to do with Matt's dog used to be on the wooden floors, mm-hmm. like getting her real excited. And then she would like run down the wood floors and then like... Eventually, slide, her, legs, yes. her legs would give out, and she would just slide the rest of the way. That happens to my shepherd funny. in my house all the time, very and I feel funny. bad for him. That's, just, the legs kind of go out from underneath him like he's ice skating. So. I say we do that with Moniz next time we're at an event. Who's a good Moniz? No. Who's a good Moniz? I'll get all excited. His tongue will start hanging out. Nope. And then he'll like, start taking down, off down the thing, and then we'll have to try and you know. I'm going to leave him. that to you, and you only. I'm not getting involved in that. 
Well, as I mentioned, you know, last week we're at Provincetown Paracon, and a little bit later on tonight we're going to be joined by our guest Jason Offit, and we're going to talk about a variety of different weird and strange things, uh, including those butterfly people, because that's that's mm-hmm. where we first came up with the idea of hey, we got to get Jason on the show, because it came up a while back where the the butterfly people were brought up and. We said this is something that we have to explore a little bit more. So we'll do that later on with Jason Alfred. Uh And if anybody wants to call in during the show, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. You can also get at us at, uh, spook, at, uh, S, at SpookySC on Twitter or the hashtag SpookyLive. I was trying to combine both those things together. That's okay. Into one thing. I forgive you. But hashtag SpookyLive. Or directly at Spooky SC, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And, uh, and Matt's going to get the stuff going if he can. I'm sorry for my computer. It's probably my computer's fault. We might blame your computer. Rem- remember how much trouble we were having with it last Saturday? We at were. Provincetown Paracon. And, and I was I just should've... telling him how we had that weird. Uh... I should have thought of that. We had the. Well, this one tried to restart on me before you got here, and I stopped the process. But we, we did see that the candy bar pro- uh, problem has been fixed. Oh, it has? Oh, it has. thank you. Thank you. We- yeah. For those not familiar, <laughs> somebody decided to play a April Fool's Day joke on me, and they changed something in the system so that every time I typed the word ghost, it would replace with the word candy bars. And you would think that, you know, somebody <laughs> like me, I'd probably type the word ghost quite a bit. And so uh, we <laughs> we almost were promoting tonight's, uh, promoting our next event, Candy Bars of of the Gateway. Um. But I thought it was pretty funny. It, it was. But, but when you I didn't think it was very funny. When I couldn't get it to stop, even when he told me how to get it to stop right. and it still didn't stop, it still says candy bars. It was really funny when we were trying to put a, a presentation together. Yes. But it worked out all right. And I, I did mention that we do have an event on sale now, Ghosts of the Gateway, happening August yes. 12th at the Wareham Historical Society buildings. Uh, we're going to try to make this an annual thing for them because it's a it's a big fundraiser for them. Uh, so those tickets are on sale at SpookySouthCoast.com. I don't know how to get to it on the website, but if you go to <laughs> my Facebook, well, because I, I made it as a page and then I didn't put it anywhere. So right. I realized that like as I was driving here, I was like, I didn't put it anywhere anchored on the page. But you can get it on the Spooky South Coast Facebook account and on the Twitter account and on mine as well. Uh, we have it there. Well, I'll, I'll get it on the page. I just... Because I realized, I was like, oh, I made it an event, and then we changed it to a page, and I didn't put it up there. So it's up. You can get tickets. But we just announced a little twist today. We did. I've been thinking about this since, like, the beginning of last summer. And Jeff Blanchard and I had talked about, in the past, wanting to come up with some different things that we could do for paranormal fun. You know, people that we like hanging out with, but we always only hang out with in, like, old abandoned places looking for ghosts. Right. But what's something that we could do, you know, during the summer maybe where it could just be a fun, good time? And so I was thinking about it. You know, people love to have, you know, softball leagues and all that kind of stuff. Right. I said, well, softball, you got to go out and get equipment. You know, people have to get a glove. And uh, what's something that we can all get together and play where it wouldn't involve that much Equipment, and the only thing I could think of was kickball. Kickball. Everybody can play kickball. Right. And did I put, I put dodgeball, didn't you I? put dodgeball. It's kickball. Thank the I gotta Lord. change that. Because I'm looking at this, like, you know. I just, I, as I'm saying that, I remember we said dodgeball. I thought you were out of your mind. No, because we don't that. have an indoor place to play, so we can't play dodgeball. 
Thank God. You need walls for dodgeball. I was the dodgeball champion of my elementary school. But that was in a school. That was in a building that had walls. No, it wasn't. It was actually outside. In, that's just craziness because the balls just go everywhere. So we had this painted circle. Uh, I'm sorry, square on the pavement. And the entire class lined up along the, the square. So it created like a human square instead of walls. But the balls came at you from all different angles, not just one side or the other. So... It was a little more difficult to play, but I was the champion. We used to play a game called Watusi. That was my favorite. I have no idea what that is. It was like dodgeball, but with a jail, and it was really cool. Yeah, so kickball it is. And I'm, edit, I'm editing my post right now. So we announced that, I'm looking right now, the next 20 people, correct me if I'm wrong, to buy tickets to the event are guaranteed a spot on one of the kickball teams. The kickball teams will be called Tim's Terrors versus Steph's Spirits. So how are we working this? Are we allowing them to pick their team, or are we picking them? No, no, the, the, just the first, the first 20 people that buy a ticket, or the next 20 people that buy a ticket, they'll be able to be part of the teams for sure. Okay. Because not everybody that buys a ticket is going to want to play or come early of or course. whatever. Right. So the idea is that you know the people who do that want to will get in, and then we'll have just spots that can be filled afterwards with people that just show up. I mean, this is this the kickball classic is not part of the event itself per se. So you don't need a ticket. You can just come and hang out. It's just going to be for fun. Um, you know, maybe we'll pass the hat and collect a little bit more money for the historical okay. society or something. So ticket holders are guaranteed a spot. Other the next people, 20 people right. that buy tickets are guaranteed a spot. But this is open to anybody that wants to come, is what you're right. saying. Okay. Dur- during the kickball game, anybody that okay. wants to come and just hang out can. And if you want to play and you didn't buy a ticket, if there's room on the teams to be filled, we'll fill it from there. And then when we do it, you know, we'll do like, we'll pick teams when, on the day of. Okay. Like totally high school style. Really? Totally like make people feel bad for being picked last. No, I'm just kidding. That's we'll probably terrible. just go one, two, one, two, one, two. But we'll pick teams the day of. Okay. And I figure this is the the best thing to do is to play kickball, not dodgeball, kickball, because you only just have to go out and get a big kickball. Right. And I will get a very large ball, so nobody's going to swing and miss at this one. Okay. And there's a couple of fields that we could possibly play on that are very close to where the event's going to take place, so I'm just going to... I just had this idea before I tried to get permission to use any of these fields, but we'll be able to. I'm sure we'll work it out. Yes. And it'll be very interesting. The worst case scenario is we'll play it like in the parking lot of the Tremont Nail Factory. But I'm I'm hoping we can actually get to like a real, like a real softball field okay. so that it has like, you know, base paths and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be really interesting. We might yes. have to throw in some extra twists. My mind's already going. But the the key is like it's just gonna be for fun. So even if you're the least athletic person in the world, you're still probably more of an athlete than I am, so you And I might I might just coach. You're going down. I might not play. You you have to play. You can't just coach a well, team. Well, I'm going to I'm going to play, but like I might like sub sub in for myself so that somebody else gets a chance. I think you have to play. Well, I'll, de- I'll definitely have at least one ups. Okay. I'll, I'll have ups at least one time, but then you know I want to make sure that other people get a chance. But it'll be fair. It'll be like little league style. It'll be fair. Okay. All right. The worst thing that'll happen is you know we have to give somebody like a fourth strike. You know, that mm, nobody's okay. nobody's going to strike out in this game. So we're not we're not being competitive. Oh, we will. Oh, okay. I, I'm saying all this now, but when we get there, it'll be like you're totally going to change yeah, it up. We got to beat her. Going to win. And uh, the, the the advantage of this is, you know, 
it gets us out in sunshine for a little bit during the summer, yeah, which that's is a very odd experience. Paranormal for a lot of us. people don't experience. And then afterwards, we will go over to the Ghost of the Gateway event. So tickets are are on sale for that now too. So which are actually going fast, and it's it's not even June yet. So. so. And uh, we will have some other things coming down the pike, but that's what we have booked right now. Again, we want to do this every year for the Wareham Historical Society, if we can. So. And when do you ever get a chance to hang out in a 1600s tavern? Right. And uh, if you do buy tickets to the event and play kickball, you know you're going to get fed afterwards. So it's like it's mm, like having yes. like team pizza afterwards. And it's delicious. It's so good. And... Wareham is the place that Jeff Blanchard got his first ever EVP. Mm-hmm. So, and it's also a pokey stop. So it is a pokey too. stop. That's right. So is uh, the the place where we just had wrestling earlier was a pokey stop. Oh really? I didn't get a chance to. Oh, keep, that's right. That's right. I knew you were. Keep checking it out. But uh, so again, uh, if you want to join us, spookysouthcoast.com, and I'll tweet out the information about that. You can find it on our Facebook pages and and all that. We'll have more about that in the coming weeks for sure. But. I just I want to take a step back for a minute before we get into the discussion a little bit later on with Jason Offit and about some paranormal mm-hmm. topics. I want to take a step back to last weekend when we were in Provincetown and we had the opportunity to investigate the was it was it the United Unitarian Church meeting house? Yes, the UU Church. Yes. So it's <clears throat> this is a it. it they do a lot of different things there. Right. I know at one point that was like the playhouse where, where the um, theater group was putting on their shows. Right. They have a lot of community meetings there. They have services there. There's a lot of different people that, a lot of different organizations that utilize that space. So it's not just always something from a religious bent. Right. And even then, the universalist religion is a very inclusive religion. It's, it's not something that Correct. you know puts up a lot of barriers between one and the other. Mm-hmm. So we had all the different areas of people investigating. You know, Amy and Adam were upstairs with Greg and Dana Newkirk. You went up there for a little bit with them. I did. Uh, you know, the rest of us, John Brightman, you and I, Rachel Hoffman, we're all downstairs. So there's two floors of people investigating. But weird little things were happening, but nothing that was like really standing out overtly. So I just happened to walk through this back, like, boiler room area, mm-hmm. little small area with a sink and some shelves with some paint on it and everything. And I was walking through there to get to the kitchen. And as I'm walking through, I look in the mirror and I could see something standing behind me in the mirror. And right. I'm like, well, it's probably because the lights are off. Mm-hmm. Like, it's probably just a reflection of, of the boiler or something. And so I'm like trying to recreate whatever it was. And nothing was really going on. We had everybody come in there mm-hmm. and basically just mirror gaze, stare in the mirror and see what they picked up. And everybody had different experiences. If everybody went in there and said, oh yeah, I was staring at myself and it looked like my face was melting, and that's what everybody said all the time. If everybody said, okay, it looked like my face was contorting, I'd say, that's probably just your eyes playing tricks on you with the darkness and the shadows of, you know, we had a little flashlight that was Mm -hmm. people were using to get a little bit of a light source. And anybody that's done a psychomantium, anybody that's done mirror scrying, any of this stuff, you know, you've experienced this type of thing before. But some of the experiences were really strange and really different. Right. There's a reason. I mean, people have been doing this for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Right. 
I mean, even if it was just using your, you know, your reflection on a pond. I was going to say water was probably the first source that people went to. So what are some of the experiences that people have when they do that? Is it, is it uncommon for people to have full-out visions in there? No. Um, I mean, if you want to go to like more of the stereotypical side of things, um, crystal balls are another form of scrying. And obviously because it has a reflective um, surface, people use that to as a tool for their intuition, depending on if they're a visual person or they're not. And it helps them kind of see into... Um, the reading that they're about to perform, and they can see visions in it. They can see uh, different objects, just very similar to what you would see in your third eye, in your mind's eye, as you're doing a reading. Um, mirror scrying is a form of tra- transfiguration, so you can see a lot, depending on you know how you set your intentions and what, what it is that you're looking for or what you're trying to accomplish. The way that I teach it to people or I allow them to experience during my classes are it's kind of a form of matrixing but it's a little different and it actually forms into watching your face change and watching different features of your face change so not the not the melting that people were describing Mm -hmm. but watching your face physically change into somebody else's face so if i obviously i look much different than you but imagine my face morphing into yours i don't have a beard i don't have short hair i'm not wearing my glasses right now so if i were to look in and i would see your face Obviously, I'm seeing something much different. So there's a, some degree of expected distortion. Yes. And so it's you have to kind of wait and get past that and get through that. It depends on who you do it with. If you know what you're doing, it can be a lot faster. Um, but just watching your face change could be matrixing if you're not setting your intention you don't know what you're doing. But if so, if people were staring at the mirror and seeing their face change and said, okay, that's that's it. I saw my face change. That's enough. Right. There could have been more if they oh, stayed absolutely. waiting. Yep. yep. So that's not the, it's not like it's an either or thing for you. Um, no, no. And I mean, some people might just not see something or not be open to if they're not a visual person or they're kind of holding themselves back a little bit because they're afraid of what they're going to see that could affect it as well. One of the things that I found the most interesting about it was that people were some people were terrified of it yes. before they even knew what was going on. You know, the minute you just said the word mirror, and yeah. I'm, I don't like to look in mirrors. Right. I don't like, because I'm always worried that there's somebody behind me. In fact, like when I, the hotel room that I was staying in, mm-hmm. there were two beds. Okay. And there was one closer to the door mm-hmm. and then one closer to like the back area with the bathroom. And my natural inclination is to put as much space between me and a door as I can. Okay. And so the first night I laid down in bed, I was like, I'm definitely, ta-, you know, it was like two thirty, three o'clock in the right. morning. I got there after the, after the VIP party. And I was like, I'm taking the bed that is furthest from the door. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, this door, this place especially freaked me out because. Yes, it did. I'd never been in a, and I'd never stayed in a place like that on my, by myself where it was <laughs> one of those places yep. where you walk along and you know, like there's all the doors. Mm-hmm. You have to go up the stairs and then there's another row yep. of doors, you know, one of those outside. And, um. I think it's like a motor lodge is the way they actually right. would describe it. So I was already a little bit freaked out. And so I said, I'm going to sleep in this bed that's as far away from the door as I can get. Well, sure enough, I wake up in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. and I did not realize that there was a full-length mirror directly on the wall that's across from me. And I said, I, I don't know if I can stay in this bed now. Mm-hmm. So then I tried getting in the other bed for a little while. 
and I just I was too close to the door, so I ended up moving back. But the mirror was enough for me to say, I'm going to supersede my i got to be as far away from the door as I can rule. Right. See, that's how I felt when I stayed at the Hawthorne in Salem. I had a... The rooms are very small because it's a historical hotel, and there is a, a very large mirror, almost kind of like half body length, um, on the wall, and right right next to my head, pretty much. And the entire night, I kept having these weird dreams that people were crawling out of that mirror all night long. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know what it is, and I'm, I'm sure that there's something, um, there's something to it, because a lot of people have that fear. Well, even if you go back, you know, through history, the beliefs that people had about mirrors and um, the power behind them, and I've talked to a lot of mediums about this, too, and just, mirrors are just strange. There's something about them. And there's a difference between the mirrors that people use for proper, you know, mirror gazing and, and regular mirrors. Right. Like if you go by, uh, if you go by a mirror, uh, you know, Walmart or Jabot or wherever right. you might buy a mirror, it's it's aluminum backed, so it's like a silver colored backing. Yep. To the mirror, and I I don't know why they went to that. I think it has like it's more yeah. reflective or it stays yeah. cleaner or something. But there was a re- I, I knew it before. There's a reason why they went to. A silver metallic backing instead of black backing. Right. But, and, and you know, the whole thing with uh, breaking a mirror being seven years bad luck, mm-hmm. you know, that superstition, you know where that superstition comes from. Where does that come from? It actually comes from, um, you know, before like middle, uh, I almost said Middle Eastern, before the Middle Ages, <laughs> before those mm-hmm. times when mirrors were actually very expensive. Right. So you didn't want to break a mirror because it was so expensive to be able to replace it. Right. So they that came up sense. with this superstition that you would have seven years bad luck if you broke a mirror so that people would be more careful with mirrors. Every time I think of creepy mirrors, I think of, and you might not remember it because you might have been too old for it, but somebody out there must remember it. Um, are you afraid of the dark on Nickelodeon? I was too old for it, yeah. I mean, I, I remember it being on, freaky. but I just didn't watch it all the time. For a kid's show, it was actually really scary. So they had a mirror episode, and as we're talking about it, I'm having like flashbacks of watching it, and it really freaked me out. Well, I, I know that uh, if you've, you know, like the, the Newkirks had a mirror that they were using for their... Yes. For their psychomantium. That, yeah, it had the black backing behind it. So that's supposed to be better for you, for... It is. Why? Why would the black be better than the metallic? I think easier to see the, the what's the word I'm looking for? I've been doing readings all day, so my mind is completely gone. Um, Does it give a kind of more of a more depth in the reflection? Yes, but at the same time, it's easier to watch your face transform, I think, in a black mirror. Um, I feel like a silver mirror is a little too precise, a little too clear, and... It's it's very reflective, so you see exactly what you need to. Where in the black one, you need to kind of move a little bit closer in order to see yourself. I do it by candlelight too, so it's and I do it in pitch black as well. Obviously, you've seen you know psychomantium chambers; mm-hmm. they're always done in, in pitch black. But um, I just feel like it's easier to see things behind you. It's easier to see your face uh, transform in a black mirror. So you can you can make a mirror, yeah, because you can get silver reflective paint. Paint a piece of glass and it turns it into a mirror. Right. Can you do the same thing with black paint? Yes. the The mirrors that I have are painted black, or glass painted black, I should say. They were actually gifted to me. I didn't make them myself, um, but looking at them, you can see 
that they were painted. So, well, it's certainly uh, something to try if you've never tried it before. Um, my my um, suggestion is to not try it if you don't know what you're doing. Well, I think it's something that we can do on August 12th. I mean, um, I think... Uh, I could certainly do that. I think uh, there's a couple of spaces in the Faring Tavern that would make nice little psychomantium places. There could. See, the way I do it is different than just watching and getting freaked out. I actually mm-hmm. teach people... I walk people through how to do transfiguration. I shouldn't say that I teach people how to do it, because if I I don't teach people how to do it, because I'm afraid that they're going to do it the wrong way. Right. Because um, transfiguration is actually really dangerous to do by yourself. Um, so... I, I do walk people through how to do it the proper way. I actually just did this um, with Alicia at one of my classes. I did it with Ross as well. And the results that they had were really interesting. So watching people be able to see clear faces on top of their own is actually really creepy. Yeah, it's a little weird for me. I mean, I've seen just enough of like my melting face type Right. See, to say that's, 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 that's weird good for me. But seeing somebody else's face or seeing a face of a past loved one is amazing. I had in in the SK Pierce mansion, which we're also going back to. Yes, we are. But in the SK Pierce mansion, I was doing it in the rape closet, and I actually had another face appear behind me. Mm-hmm. It's so much so that I thought somebody had walked into the room. Right. So, but I didn't really like chalk it up as being anything for sure. I was like, well, maybe. You know, maybe I just like looked away real fast and looked back, and right. you know, it was my reflection. I didn't get too freaked out by but, it. But you know, you can see things in regular mirrors too. I had um, my aunt actually called me. Um, she was going through cancer treatment, and she looked in the mirror in the hallway and saw my grandfather's face instead of hers, and freaked out and screamed and called my mom and asked if that could even be possible. And then she kept trying to explain it away as. Maybe something else. And it but never popped into her head that maybe she had quantum leaped into her, into your grandfather or something? No. No. All right. No, so. Uh, do, you, do you even get the reference? No. Of course I don't. We go through this All right, every so, week. So, so Quantum Leap was one of the best TV shows ever. We Matt, just talked Matt, about can I, Matt, can I get a hell yeah on Quantum Leap being a good show? Right. Yeah, see? He agrees. <laughs> so, it was this anthology show where a... We explained this on the show, I think, two it, weeks ago. This physicist would... Move right. into other people's bodies. Right. And so they always had the moment where he would look in the mirror and see their face instead of his. So that's why that's I think that that was just what was going on is he was just doing transfiguration. So, yes, pseudoname, we're aware that the live stream is dropping out. We are abandoning it for the night. Are we? Yeah. That's what happens when you're not here. The studio turns against you. That's so sad. The studio's like, you don't want to come in? Fine. I'll show you. It's a, it's a sad sad situation. I know. I always feel bad like when Matt sets it up and now he's taking it all down and I'm like, I feel bad because I can't help because I'm stuck. I can't talk and help. <laughs> but, and I don't know why Sesame Street's on the TV behind you. Um, I don't know. Well, it just went to Casey and the Sunshine Band. Oh. I think they're showing like something from the all 70s. Right, good. That makes me feel Over better. your shoulder, which is weird enough. So anyway, uh, we also were talking about, uh, while, while we were at Provincetown Paracon, I do want to share this story a little bit with people. Okay. Because... You had a very strange friendship that developed over the course of the weekend with uh, with Billy, the idol of nightmares. I did. And so this is, for those unfamiliar, uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk, they run the paranormal, uh, Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult, and they were there. And believe it or not, this was the first time that I've ever gotten to meet Greg and Dana. Right. Having had them on the show numerous times over the last 11 years, this was the first time that we'd ever actually met face-to-face and the first time that I'd ever seen the museum. Right. But I was familiar with some of the stuff from seeing things that they do yeah, online. Yeah, of course. And they take the pictures, and videos. 
But I wasn't prepared for Okay, listen. This lineup was great. Mm-hmm. Amy Bruni was there. Adam Berry. We were there. John Brightman. You know, all these great people in the paranormal. But those, the, the true rock stars of this whole event, this whole weekend, were these haunted items. Mm-hmm. And the crone was there. It was. There... Uh, uh, um, uh, Ruby the doll. I was blanking Ruby on the doll. Ruby was there, name. yes. Um, actually, pretty much everything that you'd want to see was there. The only thing they didn't bring was the sword. Yes, they did not bring the sword because they don't allow people to touch the sword anymore. Well, that's probably a good idea. And right now, Ty is posting pictures with the sword because he's with them. Just to rub it in your face. <laughs> well, but that sword is specific to the case that they're working on. They needed it for the case that they're working right. on. Right. But so this is our first time seeing the Paranormal Museum, the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal the Occult in person. And standing, you know, sitting over there uh, as Greg and Dana are doing everything is this burlap bag yes. wrapped around something. Mm-hmm. And anybody that knows the museum knows that when they see that burlap bag, it only means one thing, and that's Billy. And what's funny is Friday night, we hung out with it a little bit. We were kind of just hanging out in that area. He did not come out of the burlap bag until no, Saturday. But he was behind you. We were sitting you. right next to him, all wrapped up, and everything was fine. And and yeah, that was the thing. Is like I knew that Billy was underneath Me the burlap, too. right? But it was like whatever, you know. We'll see it tomorrow, right? Take a picture with it, whatever. Didn't really think twice about it. Like it'll be cool, no. you know. It'll be cool to get a picture with it. Tomorrow. And now I was with Ty the weekend before. Up in Mount Washington with Amy and Adam, and he was telling me all about his his weekend coming up with Dana and Greg, and talking to me about all these different objects. And Alicia was telling me all about these objects in February when we were away for business in Florida, and she was showing me pictures at three o'clock in the morning and how amazing this is. And I've heard so much about Billy, and sitting next to him, I really didn't think that there was going to be any type of connection because. For whatever reason, that burlap sack blocks the energy from protruding outward. But then Saturday comes. Saturday comes. And Saturday we were, you know, we set up our table. We're sitting at the table talking right. with people. And at this point, you know, Billy had come out. They had unwrapped him. They did. And at some point, you know, you had decided that you were going to go over there. And I think we went over together. Was, you, you might have beat me by a few, mon- few minutes. I went by myself the first time because I was bringing over the haunted tarot cards. Oh, right, right. To, I was trying to finish up some things on the computer. You were finishing yep. up on the computer. And I walked around the corner because they were kind of like in this little inlet in, inside that room. And I walk around the corner and I felt like a brick hit me in the middle of the forehead. And it felt like the entire top of my head almost like was leaving my body. I can't even explain the feeling that I had. And I thought to myself, like, my eyeballs feel like they're going to pop out of my head. What is this feeling? There used to be a, an extreme Ghostbusters figure of Ray that when you squeezed, like, his that's arms... That's exactly how I the felt. The head would pop up yes. and the eyes would bulge out. Yep. Yeah. So that's exactly how I felt. So much pressure in my head and I couldn't see clearly for a minute and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I'm like, oh, I was just next to all of these objects last night. What is the problem? And I look over and I made contact, eye contact with Billy. And then I knew. <laughs> At that moment, I knew exactly why I had this this weird pressure in my head and I couldn't understand what was going on. So it was uh, it was bizarre at best. The, I, I guess you had already been there for a little bit. I come walking around because we had been, we had received... A deck of haunted tarot cards. We did. That uh, one of our friends said, 
actually she contacted you and said, I want to get rid of these things. Can you get rid of them? And, and you would just happen to say, well, you know, we're going to be hanging out with the people from the, um, the traveling, traveling museum. museum of the paranormal right. and the occult this weekend. Why don't we give it to them? And so you had her drop them off here for me because right. you didn't want to touch them. And then, <laughs> Sorry, Tim. You, and then, so they came here to the station. Right. And that was, I think on like Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And, Everybody in the station knew that they were here. And somebody who works here... It was Wednesday because I came here that night to do the Facebook we did, Live yep, with We you. did the Facebook Live. And then, so there's a person who works here who does tarot card readings. Right. And so the next day, he was using them to give readings to everybody. And I said, well, these are supposed to be haunted. Mm-hmm. But nobody had any issues. Nobody had any problems with them. And then we brought them to Greg and Dana on, on Saturday. We gave them to them. So I come around because they said they wanted to get a picture with us. Right. So I come over to where you guys are talking, and I go around the corner. There's a wall between where the museum right. is and where we're all sitting. So I go around the corner, and you're already over there hanging out with Billy. And uh, and you and Alicia were kind of passing him back and forth. Actually, Alicia, you yet. hadn't touched him yet. Alicia was still holding him. Right. And Alicia was very protective of him as she was holding no. him. That had been hours since I saw him that morning because they asked me if I wanted to hold him, and I said, No. And they looked at me and they were like, well, why? And I said, he's demanding respect and I have to ask permission to hold him. And every single time I said something to Greg, he gave me that Greg smirk where, I mean, to me, that was almost like an understanding, you know, like, okay, I, I, you know, that makes sense. And uh, we kind of went from there. So all day long, I kept going past and kind of building up that relationship a little bit and like waiting to hold him. So at this point, you came up. I was I was about to hold him. I did. I came over and and I realized that I got a little bit of a weird feeling around it. Now, mm-hmm. listen, I love Greg and Dana. Yes. But I think a lot of these items are a story. Right. And I think that a lot of these items, not that they've made it up, but uh, you know, they've collected these stories from people who have of these items. Right. And same thing with Zaphis. You know, you're you're picking up somebody else's item that has somebody else's energies attached to it. Of so it's, it's, it's not going to do the same thing for you that it does for everybody else. So it's I'm fully expecting these items not to have any effect on me right. because I'm not affected by mm-hmm. items like that. And so I'm just kind of watching what's going on. I just want to talk with everybody. Right. So I see Alicia holding him, and I'm starting to feel a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until you picked it up and held it, which was a few minutes after I got over there, they had actually asked me first if I wanted to hold. Like Alicia was like trying to get me. Like, yeah, I like, asked you no, if you wanted to go no, first. No, no, no. And you you started to back up when I, we asked you that. And when you took him into your hands, mm-hmm. it got really weird because mm-hmm. all of a sudden the back of my neck felt like it was on fire. Right. And the back, like top back of my head. It was very tingly. Mm-hmm. And so it was almost like he was saying he wanted you to hold him and for me to back away. Right. So I did. And I kept moving a little bit closer. And if I moved closer, it would I'd get that feeling in the back of my neck again. And it was kind of weird because it kept happening. Right. And I did eventually hold him. And what's funny is I didn't feel that feeling when I was holding him. <laughs> Only when you were holding him or when I was just around it. Right. The other part that I thought was strange was, like Alicia had pointed it out, he, he gets heavy. Yes, when he doesn't want to be held by you. He doesn't feel heavy when you first pick it up. You're like, no. oh, wow, I was expecting this to be heavier. But it gets heavy fast when he wants to be put down. She actually described it as 
you know, when you carry something extremely heavy and you finally let it go, like your arm just doesn't feel right. You have to shake it off. You know, it, it takes a while to get back to normal. That's what it felt like for her. So I was very hesitant to get close right. because you were making a connection with it. He was talking to you. You were sitting down holding him. Uh, he requested right. to go to our lecture. He did. And he was only nice to you after the lecture. That's true. But I think it's because you were saying nice things about me in the lecture, so he changed his mind about you. Well, and then he came along for the investigation, too. He did. And as soon as they pulled him out for the investigation, I was like, ah, I feel it. Like, yes. I could tell when he was unwrapped because I would get you that get feeling that in the feeling. back of my neck and in, 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 in my head. And I've known you for a long time now. And I have been through a lot with your beliefs and the way that you see certain things and, you know... I think we we have to say we have a mutual understanding of you're very skeptical, so am I, but I obviously have this weird ability that I have to put up with and you have to put up with. And watching everything change for you over the years and to have you react this way to a an idol is bizarre for me because I never see you react to anything like that. So fast forward now. Mm-hmm. We, we have these experiences all week, uh, all weekend. Fast forward to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a uh, paranormal lockdown marathon mm-hmm. on yes. Destination America, and that reminds me in my head that I have some des- uh, I have some paranormal lockdown episodes in my DVR to watch. Yep. When it was airing, it was airing in the winter. I was very busy. I started working on haunted towns. I didn't really have a chance to to really get involved in watching mm-hmm. anything, so I kind of put it in my DVR and said, "I will get to this eventually." So today, I said, I- "I'm going to watch a couple episodes." There's been some stuff going on with the Oliver House. There's a convention that's happening or should right. be happening. And so I was like, well, I want to watch that one for sure. And, uh, and I was like, I have these other ones that I've saved that have friends of ours. There's an episode with John Tenney. Right. An episode with Greg and Dana. So I turn it on and I start watching it. And in this episode, they're at the Scott Mansion, I think, was the one. Yes. And so Greg and Dana come in. And they bring some different items, and they have the crone, and they have the the black back mirror. Uh, I forget what the other one was that they brought in, and they brought out Billy. Sure enough, as soon as they unwrap Billy and Billy's on the screen. No way. Back of my neck. Stop it. Tingly feeling in my head. I was like, okay, this is, this is weird because this is filmed months ago. This was filmed like a year ago. Right. And I'm not in any kind of direct connection, but it's almost like you were trying to say, Gotcha. Yep. I know you're watching me right now. So, Greg actually filmed on his phone my reaction to holding Billy for oh, the yeah. first time. Oh, that's the thing with, uh, with with Greg is like you never – like when you're doing something, all of a sudden he's like right there with the yep. camera phone. He's like, so how are you feeling? What are you feeling right now? But I, I like it because it was a weird experience for me. And because you're never going to know what was going through your – you know, what you look like. Right. And to feel that feeling of holding this thing, it was, the best way I can describe it is this weird attraction where I knew I needed to hold it, but I knew it needed to be on his terms. And when I sat down, I held him, and it felt like there was nothing in my in my lap at all. It was bizarre. Very weird. I'll have to tell you the rest after Yes, we'll uh, break. we'll talk more about this coming up. Uh, actually, after the break, we're going to be joined by our guest, Jason Offit. Uh, and we'll take your calls and questions at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Those are the numbers to call in and join in. Again, the live video stream has gone down for the night, but you can still 
join in the chat room on our YouTube channel. The chat room is still up and running if you want to interact with us that way as well. And for those of you who are there, all you got to do is just download the Spooky South Coast app. You can still hear the audio, and you'll still be able to enjoy the show. So we'll be back in just a few with more Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with Stephanie Burke and the silent assassin Matt Costa is here as well. Matt Moniz, we he's somewhere. Did he get? Did <laughs> we he get? Don't a, know. Did he get abducted again? I I don't know. Well, it's a good question. That's all right. And uh, Spooky TV is down for the night, but for those of you who uh, want to follow along in the chat room, it is still up and running on the YouTube channel and on SpookySouthCoast.com, so you can still interact with us there. You know, just. Technology, man. It happens. Yep. It happens. Not Mercury. It's, it's, it's probably my fault. Why? Because I I abused that computer, so it's probably my fault. Yeah, it's seen better days for sure. Matt, it wasn't wasn't anything porn related, was it? Oh, All right, good. <laughs> Great. Because I don't even use that computer for that. That's why. I oh, would have been okay. Surprised. Well, thank God. So uh, we will be joined in just a moment by our guest, Jason Offit. I, I just wanted to mention one thing really quickly. Yes. I wanted to thank publicly here on the air the, the Bristol County Sheriff's Department for yes. allowing us to come and film Haunted Towns uh, this past weekend at the Ash Street Jail. I think that was awesome. I can't wait to see it. I can say that because... Uh, Jonathan Darling, the spokesman for the Bristol County Sheriff's Office, tweeted out a photo. I did see that. So that will be coming up. They they were investigating the Lizzie Borden case. Now, what that twist is, what their take is on the Lizzie Borden case, you'll have to wait to see. But uh, right now, they are filming in a small town in Georgia. They are. And That's they are, right. They have uh, been spending the weekend with a, a good friend of the show. Yes. And her haunted doll. So stay tuned for husband. that as well. Yes. So the haunted doll that has actually been on this show, actually sitting in that chair that you're sitting in oh, right now. Oh, good. Yay. I don't know if it was that chair. Okay, good. I hope not. But it was one of these <laughs> chairs. So we'll have more information for you about that show when it comes up. But right. right now it's still kind of... And it was very nice wraps. meeting them as well. They were great guys. We, we can say who it was. We got There was the Tennessee Wraith Chasers from right. Ghost Asylum. You know, they're, they're part of this new program that I've been working on, this new show. Instead of doing another season of Ghost Asylum, we're going in a different direction. Right. And so they came to Fall River, and we got to hang out with them last Sunday for a bit. It was very cool. I did some filming. You watched. I did. In the cold and the rain. It was freezing. <laughs> but it should be a great episode. It, it looks like it. It really looks well done, and I can't wait to watch it. And I don't say that about many shows. Because so. you don't watch them because you're afraid. Listen, it took everything to watch my own episodes, so. Well, why don't we get into the discussion tonight with our guest, Jason Offit. He's a journalism instructor at Northwest Missouri State University, as well as being a paranormal investigator and a writer on all things strange and unusual. And he joins us tonight for the first time. Jason, good evening. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, I just got in on the last part of that. Uh, uh, the com- you're discussing the computer. Did you say it was a, a porn or corn? Uh, right, corn. Different. Totally corn. Totally corn. corn. I actually just want. Okay, I, all right. I, I won an online I contest. To be clear before we started. I, I won an online contest this weekend on Facebook to win. I, I won literally. I won six uh, ears of Mexican street corn. So <laughs> I've had corn. I'll leave that 
there. Corn problems all week. Yes, okay. So I can't believe that this is the first time that we've talked to you because, uh, you know, anybody that, that gets into paranormal stuff, they see your name. Uh, they, you're a very prolific writer, a very prolific researcher. Uh, and so, first off, I just want to apologize for taking so long to have you on the show. Well, I just figured you'd heard me, heard me on other shows or maybe read my books. That's why it took you so long. Nah, nah, not at all. But it's funny because your name came up recently because I forget how it came about, but on the show, the subject of the butterfly people came up. And, and right, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was a piece that I, I wrote for um, uh, for Mysterious Universe uh, you know, a few months ago. Yes, and so this is something that this is a legitimate phenomenon that people have reported. Well, right, uh, a tornado. Um, what was it? F F four, F five, E F four, E F five. I don't remember. I think it might have been E F five. It was a huge tornado plowed through through Joplin, Missouri, um, uh, two thousand eleven, I believe. And uh, yeah, it killed uh, over 100 people and injured a lot more. And it was just it was devastating. And, you know, after everything started to, you know, not get back to normal, but, but when the cleanup started, um, children were reporting seeing uh, people with wings, people who looked like butterflies, you know, with, you know, they had butterfly wings, who had helped them. There were, there were cases of... Um, you know, there was a vehicle, or the tornado was coming, in, and a dad was driving. His, his, his son was in a car seat in, in, in the back, and the tornado started pulling the car, and, and the car got away. And, and the dad was shocked that uh, that they got away. And, and, and the son was like, he was like, uh, you know, four or five years old. He's like, oh, Dad, the, the, the butterfly, the butterfly person was was pulling the car. He saved us. Um, and, and there were similar similar reports of a, a mom and, and, and her kid were um, you know started to be, to be sucked away and they ended up in a field underneath a piece of debris that was sheltering them from from any other debris that was raining down and and the kid said that uh, that a butterfly person had had uh, had you know flown with them and and put put that piece of debris over them to pr- protect them and then those are just two of a, of a number of cases it was it was pretty pretty fascinating it was really cool it was really fascinating yeah it's, i mean it sounds like it but it's not it's not related to like mothman in any way it's it's a it's a different type of a description well right yeah it was it was more angelic actually yeah uh, mothman is is uh, uh is, is dark and foreboding with uh with, with nice nice you know red glowing eyes and this was uh you know, this is this, these were more more light light type creatures um, uh, that, that looked like people, except for they had butterfly wings. See, there's there's, I guess a lot of people have had experiences like that in a, in a, in a moment like that. You know, when you're going up against something that is terrifying, there's these beings that will come into play. And, and Stephanie, uh, you know, you probably experienced some of these in in your work as well. But you know, something steps into kind of save the day or at least to kind of you know be your bedrock to be your strength to help you get through a situation like that but the butterfly wings is the part that i find the most interesting because you would think like the default thing that people would think of is guardian angel right and so you would think you know you would think straight out angelic being with angelic wings and not not that little bit of a butterfly twist right and that, that's what makes the story interesting is the butterfly twist and, and well i mean this is this is, it was a really trying time. It was terrifying. Was it? Was it something that uh, actually happened? Were they? Were they entities that actually that actually came down and protected people, or uh, was it just 
you know, all the adrenaline flooding through your, you know, flooding through their veins and, 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 and then completely freaking out. And, and this is what they thought they saw. Um, I mean, it could be a lot of, a lot of different, you know, there could be a lot of different explanations, you know, some rational, some, some paranormal, but I'm not saying that paranormal is not rational, didn't mean to go there. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, you know, repeated children, unconnected children saying, you know, it was a butterfly person. That really made it interesting to me. Has there been, uh, other reports of these type of beings? I mean, has there been about those butterfly wings? Has there been anything else that you've been, because I'm thinking, like, does this tie back into, you know, fairy stories that might have happened a hundred years ago? Well, yeah, and you know, um, uh, the butterfly people know this is, this is, this is, uh, you know, I did some research on it and this is, this is all I could really find for hmm. this type, type of event. Uh, you know, I, I've also done research and read a number of stories about, about, um, tragic type events that were, you know, the, the people were, were saved by guardian angels, uh, is, is how they described them, but, but not, not butterfly people. And, and fairy stories, I've, you know, interviewed a number of people about, about, their fairy encounters, um, and and they're you know not the same at all from from what these people had. There is uh, in my in my experiences, you know, there is kind of uh, when you get into those moments, those those moments where you're being tested and, and where you are terrified, you have to kind of be willing to give in to, even if you don't believe in a higher power, at, at that particular moment, you have to be willing to say, okay, I'm hoping something steps in here. Uh, I'm hoping that there's something here that will help carry me through this. Is it possible that these beings are kind of a, a manifestation of that, that it's it's somebody's own desire to to get through a situation, that they're kind of creating these things? Well, it, that that could go a couple of different ways. Yeah, one psychologically, yes, uh, it, it could. Uh, and, you know, there are no no uh, atheists in foxholes, sort of thing. Um, another could be, and this, I, I hate to throw this name 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 out there because it's it, it's a it's a made up made up character, but uh, it's what I talk to people about Slenderman about. You know, uh, this is this is something that was was completely fabricated. Um, but there have been reports of people encountering it. I, I think, and and there were reports, you know, stories of tulpas. There are reports of people uh, believing so much in in something, in some sort of being, some sort of entity, that this thing appears. You know, maybe maybe the you know the people were so afraid that this is what manifested uh, to to save them. Uh, probably not out of the ether. But uh, but something manifested uh, possibly to, to save these people. I mean, this is just one of the many weird stories that you've covered over the years and, and written about. It seems like, though, that when you have something that is a positive experience, you know, a, a positive encounter, you know, you're encountering this, this being that seems to be benevolent, that seems to be, uh, you know, willing to help. Do you find that those stories are probably more accepted than some of the darker stories that you've covered? You know, covering things like talking about Slenderman or talking about shadow people or things like that, do you find that people kind of buy into the good and the, and the light and the angelic more than they do the darker stuff? Well, because they want to. I mean, wouldn't you? Right. I mean, I, I would rather think there's a guardian angel out there looking over my shoulder, you know, ready to, you know, to make me, no, Jason, turn right instead of left here to go home. You know, I, I would rather think of that than, than uh, you know, some sort of, of, of of, of dark or demonic type type entity out there, although the 
dark and dark entities tend to be the ones that show their faces a little bit more. Hmm. Why do you think that might be? Well, they've got well, they've got uh, you know they've they've got some some desire, some 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 hunger. It sounds like you mentioned shadow people. There were a lot of shadow people encounters that that I uh, interviewed people about who they felt that the entities were were feeding off of them. They were feeding off their energy or the, or the fear that was being generated by the shadow person. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit, a little bit different if, if something's there to protect us or something's there to feed off of us. Uh, the thing that's there to feed off of us has, uh, you know, more of a pressing need than, than the thing looking over our shoulder. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because, you know, the, the fear is something that you'd want to keep generating uh, again and again, whereas opposed to these, you know, lighter beings that, can, they can exist in good without needing to foster good in people. Whereas opposed to, you know, if you're if you're feeding off of fear and darkness, you need to foster that within people because it's not for a lot of people part of their basic nature. Right, right. And well, and let's let's go. Uh, if, if you want to go biblical, uh, uh, go to any any you know uh, church on on Sunday, and you'll probably hear hear stories about um, uh, maybe more more southern churches. Uh, you'll you'll hear stories of, of the devil tempting you. Well, the good side doesn't do that. <laughs> the good good guy, good side lays you know sits back and, and and waits for waits for you to uh, to make your move first. You make your move you know and, and proclaim faith, and and the dark side uh, tends to insert itself into your life. So you got into this. Uh, I'm assuming being a journalism instructor that you you got into this from a, a journalistic point of view from the beginning. Is that is that kind of how you happened upon this work? Well, uh, yes, well, this work, yes, but uh, and, and topics, no. Uh, I was a, a newspaper reporter and editor for 17 years, um, so I'm, I'm a, I've, I've been teaching journalism for the past, uh, starting my 14th year. So, I mean, that's the way I approach everything. I'm a journalist by trade. But my interest uh, was spurred by, by you know, some things that happened to me when I was a kid. Uh, one of One of the... the you know, the, the, the most impactful, because I can still see the kid's face, was uh, I was about 8, 9, 10, somewhere around there. Uh, I was living in a 120-year-old uh, house. It had been a um, two-room schoolhouse way out in the country. And it had been converted into a home. And I just walked out into the hallway one day. It was in the middle of the afternoon, and uh, the sun was bright. Uh, I remember, I think it was an afternoon. And... There was a little boy standing in the hallway. I was I was going to get a book. The uh, we had our bookshelves in this one one hall. It was right outside my my bedroom door, and and I could you know see him perfectly. Brown hair, blue flannel shirt. Uh, he was staring right at me, and I could see the bookshelf through him. And we stared at each other for a while until he blinked. And when he blinked, I turned around and walked in my room and shut the door. Right. And I didn't talked to anybody about him for about 30 years after that but that it didn't really scare me i was just i was more confused and curious about about what i'd seen but but that was that was the mark right there that got me curious and and thinking that there's something that we don't know and and i kind of wanted to find out what it was and that's that, that's why i've been looking for it and so then that leads to you know that I kind of went through the same process. You know, I was interested in paranormal topics because I'd had experiences and I just happened to become a journalist along the way. And that 
you know, the opportunity always comes up as being a journalist at around Halloween time. You get to write the weird story. And, and that's about it. But around did, Halloween, that's about the only time. But did that shape how you chronicled paranormal things by looking, you know, did that put it into a journalistic lens for you? Because I found that's what happened with me is I was I was just automatically geared toward being objective that I found myself being objective toward the paranormal even when I didn't want to be. Right, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Being being a journalist, uh, you know, colors, colors the way that I, that I, you know, cover and the way I handle, the way I think about uh, the paranormal. And it's, and it's also helped me out. Uh, one of the things that, that you uh, said when you were talking about, about my bio, about me, is that I'm a paranormal investigator. And I've never called myself that. I, I, people have called me go, a ghost hunter, and I'm, I'm none of those things. I'm a journalist. Mm-hmm. And I just happen to write about the paranormal. Uh, I, I go about my work um, finding a story I'm interested in, uh, researching uh, the story, whether it be a haunting or uh, you know a Bigfoot encounter or whatever. I interview the witnesses. I go to the spot where it happened just so I can you know, clearly see it happened here. This is what it looked like. This is what the uh, Victorian uh, mansion uh, feels like at 2 o'clock in the morning when nobody else is in there. You know, while I'm sitting there at the spot where this woman died and her uh, ghost, is, you know, supposedly appears, you know, I'm sitting just so I can get the feel of what it's like. Uh, but I don't really investigate the paranormal. I, I, I document the the historical and personal you know, account in a journalistic way. Yeah, I've, I've kind of been the same way, too. Like, when people want to call me a paranormal investigator, I'm like, okay, you can, but I would prefer, you know, the term researcher because I'd rather, you know, have a distance between myself. And, I'm, you know, obviously you go through the same thing. You go out there and chronicle these things, you're going to have experiences, but at the same time you kind of want to be able to keep that distance between yourself and the topic. It's it's just natural inclination as a journalist, but in some ways a lot of these stories you have to go full-out gonzo to experience them, and I'm, I'm sure that you've been in situations where you've had to put yourself into the story, even as you're trying to stay somewhat disconnected from it. Well, and the only time that I have is when something's happened to me, mm-hmm. and, and that does that does occur. Um, one of the things that I, I don't like about, about about the paranormal is if you go out looking for something and you find it, sometimes it follows you home. Right. I've interviewed so many people who've had that happen to them, but then again, they were looking for it. I go out with the mind frame that I'm not looking for anything. I'm, I'm, I'm again researching. I'm interviewing. I'm, I'm experiencing the, the, uh, you know, the the ambiance of the cemetery at you know four o'clock in the morning. You know, that's that's what I'm there to do. I'm not looking for a ghost. So um, yeah, I, I I don't have anything ever follow me home, which is awesome because the paranormal is great as long as it's happening to somebody else. Well, especially when you are covering some of those darker topics. I mean, you don't want to have to even just writing a book about shadow people, which which you did. Uh, and if you, anybody wants to check it out, it's called Darkness Walks: The Shadow People Among Us. You know, so you're writing about this topic, and as you're putting this book together, I'm sure you're having experiences with stuff because, as uh, as my co-host Matt Moniz likes to say, you know, for every step you take toward the paranormal, it takes two toward you. And I'm sure that, you know, writing about these things brings it more to the forefront, even if you don't want it to. Well, and, and yeah, it's, I, I had people warn me, and uh, uh, I, you know, ignored them about the shadow people, because I, I saw some of those when I was younger, too. Uh, a brief period in, in, in my youth, uh, about the same time I saw the ghost, actually, uh, I saw people 
black, blacker than night, uh, uh, shadow figures walking out of a corner of my room, past my bed, and into the hallway. This didn't last for very long, but it happened, you know, a number of nights. Um, and I was, I mean, in, in my head, I called them shadow people. I, I realized that they didn't get that name until the 90s when Art Bell started talking about them. But I was fascinated by those, and, uh, I mean, nothing was going to stop me researching the book on them, because I, I just I wanted to find out some answers myself. Uh, but there are some lines that I've drawn, actually probably my wife's drawn. Uh, I wrote about black-eyed kids uh, quite extensively for a while, and I was working on a book about them. And my wife and I had a nice sit-down one evening, and she said, Jason, uh, all the stuff you write about, it doesn't bother me. These things scare the hell out of me. Please don't write the book, because I don't want you to gain attention for, for you know, covering these things, uh, you know, if you write a book on it. Mm -hmm. So I was really happy that David Weatherly came out with his so I could abandon the project. <laughs> right, he's the one that's suffering with uh, the constant knocking at his door from all the black-eyed right. kids trying to get to him. Yeah. One of the things, though, about the black-eyed kids, though, is that, and, and I kind of put this into the same, uh, the same hat that I put a lot of things into, is that you know our our boogeymen change, and what scares us changes, and, and what will eventually become something that we can accept as being relatively mundane, at least in the world of paranormal research. We need something else out there to kind of scare us. We need something else to kind of be that that line that we don't want to cross. And I think as shadow people became more accepted you know you, we used to be afraid of shadow people but now when we go on a paranormal investigation we're looking for shadow people so now that that has kind of moved the marker a little bit now we need to have something else that we can be afraid of and i think black-eyed children have become that that next step that next thing that people are afraid of right right well it, it happens in the movies as well i mean it, it, things things come and go in waves ghosts are terrifying uh uh you know the frankenstein's monster was terrifying uh uh you know, other other types of monsters, uh, vampires, werewolves, all these things go up and down over the years. Uh, you know, it's it's probably just like that, uh, just like that here. I mean, I mean, ghosts back and forth have have been terrifying, and and then something you know, like right now, it's just fun to look for. And but also with that too is that the more people that are going out and looking for these things, the more attention that they're paying to it, the more that the negative things can feed off of that. So we're talking earlier about, you know, these darker entities needing to feed off that fear. So it's no surprise that we're having an increase, say, in shadow people sightings because they're probably feeding off the attention. They're probably feeding off people out there being frightened by them. What happens when we're no longer afraid of something? Does that lessen its power? Does that lessen its its uh, does that lessen its appearances? Right. Well, I mean that that goes uh goes back to I don't remember the name of the story. Uh, I mean, but um, it, it's forgotten gods. I mean, the, the the Greek and Roman gods, the Norse gods. I mean, were they actually uh, entities? But at you know, after some point, we stopped paying attention to them, and they went away. Mm -hmm. You know, what what are these? Uh, you know, what are all these entities? They could be individual type entities. They could be ghosts. They could be shadow people. They could be black eyed kids. They're completely different from one another, uh, or. It could be just one type of entity that keeps changing, that keeps you know uh, altering itself to something that we will be afraid of. I mean, what's what's coming up next? It, it just might be searching for it. Right, and that's I've, I mean I've had that argument before uh, with other guests and even with my own co-hosts of saying 
you know, maybe all these alien encounters, these abductions, these these interactions that people have had with these beings, it's really just what scares us now. It's really just our modern boogeyman. And so this is the form that it has to take in order to frighten people, whereas opposed to 100, 200, 1,000 years ago, it would have appeared as something else. Well, right, which goes to the, to the, to the uh, you know, the aliens, little gray aliens. Um, you know, you've heard this discussed. You probably discussed this on your show uh, a number of times, is that, you know, 100, 100, 200, 300 years ago, they were fairies. They were trolls. Right. You know, gnomes such as that. You know, and they, they you know, they, cause they, they fit the same M.O. about the abductions, uh, about the, uh, the hybridization. I mean, the, the uh, elves and fairies did the same thing. But is it? Yeah, are they just changing their appearance? Uh, there could be something. Could be something to that. It's interesting though, because if you go back, you know, thousands of years, if you you know watch shows like Ancient Aliens and you read Chariot of the Gods and any of the Von Daniken books, you you know you're saying that all that time ago, these same type of beings were viewed as gods, and now they're being seen as you know evil, and it, it's kind of reflective of where society has gone from that time to now too to say that we are looking at these things now through a, a much scarier lens and we would have a much more reverential lens maybe before we thought that before we felt like we were masters of the universe and the universe was full of wonder we had a lot more respect and reverence for these things than we do now where we think that we've kind of figured everything out which could be why they uh, mostly appear as darker entities because they're pissed about that <laughs> Damn you, humans, and your egos. Yeah. One of the things that um, I noticed in, in looking through some of your work is you have talked to psychics before, but I, I saw a bio of, of, of you that said that you, you're not really a big believer in psychic abilities. Uh, no, and I, I never really have been. Um, uh, there was a time in my life I was positive that all of it was fraudulent. And then a couple of things happened to me personally uh, to where I've, res I've rescinded that. I've changed my mind. Uh, one was uh, I, I was covering I was still working in the newspaper industry, and I was, um, I was covering a psychic convention because nobody, for some reason, nobody wanted to do it. Uh, of course, there's a reason nobody wanted to do it, but I did. I wanted to go. And I ended up uh, talking with a spiritualist preacher. And... This is before I started writing anything about the paranormal, and it, she was from Kentucky, and and I mean, there's no way she could know anything about me at all because I just appeared there with a press pass and got in. Now I asked her, "How do you become? How does somebody become a spiritualist?" And she looked at me, just she looked at me frankly, and said, "Well, you know, it could be, it could be like you. You were born in the Methodist Church, and." You, uh, so you're a Methodist. So, I mean, people are born in the spirit, you know, to be spiritualists, and they're spiritualists. Well, it could be like your mom, who was, you know, born into the Catholic Church, and when she married your dad, she converted to become a Methodist. How, where the hell did she get that information? Right, she just picked up on <laughs> it from you? Picked it, she picked it out of the ether somewhere. She picked it out of my head. I don't know where she picked it out of, but she couldn't have just said it with that straight a face and got it perfectly right. Well, I'm not. I'm not trying to turn this into a you know, uh, trying to you know pull one on you here. But my co-host Stephanie is a psychic and a medium, and uh, we were just having the same discussion though. Over the course of the past couple of weeks, we've been talking right. about this, about how there's a lot of people out there who don't have abilities, and who are who have found a way to kind of 
make people think that they do. And then there are some people who have kind of deluded themselves into thinking that they have abilities and that they're making these connections. And some people who are making these connections, but they're just so slight that they're not bothering to kind of exercise that muscle and become better at it. And so it is, I mean, I, I watch paranormal TV shows. I see other paranormal teams out there running events and, and, and doing investigations. And I say, for the most part, I take all of them with a little bit of a grain of salt, but I think that they're, their hearts and their minds are kind of in it in the right way. But psychics and mediums, that's one thing where I'm like, this is all over the place. It is. Right. 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 And, and it's it's so, I mean, it is rife with, with fraud. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's easy to be rife with, with fraud. But, I mean, I'm, I I am now, my mind is now changed because uh, uh, because of that. And I, I want to go really quickly to tell you tell you another another case. This one really, really changed my mind. Uh, is it Joyce Morgan? I don't know if that name rings a bell. Um, she used to. She was a psychic from Missouri, and she used to. Uh, uh, police departments across the country used to ask her to come and look for for missing people. Okay. Uh, anyway, she had had been with a group that um, investigated the Jesse James farm in Kearney, Missouri, and I, I was using that. That was that was going to be a chapter in one of my one of my books, or actually my first book. So again, you know, like like the spiritualist. She had no idea who I was because I hadn't written anything yet, written any books yet. And I, I cold called her because uh, I knew she had investigated the farm. And I was talking with her, and she was very, very forthright, very nice lady. And then after the conversation, we, she started to get personal. And she was like, there's a ghost in your house. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe. Um, my wife and I just bought a really old house. We were going to uh, restore it, which we didn't do, but never mind. We're lazy. <laughs> um, we were going to... Uh, anyway, it was an old house, and uh, my wife had just had a baby. And to go from our room to the bathroom, uh, we had to walk to the nursery, and she would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom, and she would notice a light over over the crib. Like, like Tinkerbells, how she described it. Hmm. And she would stare at it, and it would just fade away. And she just mentioned this a couple of times, and I thought, okay, you're just, you're, you're sleepy, okay? You're, you're, you're imagining it. And then one morning, I got up to go to the bathroom, and I walked through the, walked through the, uh, through the nursery, and there was Tinkerbell, the, the Tinkerbell-type light above the crib. And there was no, there was no light bulb. There was no light fixture or anything there. I stared at it, and it went away. And I mentioned this to, to Joyce Morgan, and she said, that's just your grandfather, Sam. He, he's just in love with his namesake, and he's just trying to trying to look over him and make sure he's okay. Well, I didn't mention that our baby was a boy. I just said baby. Mm-hmm. She had no way of knowing that my grandfather's name was Sam. <laughs> she had no idea, of course, idea of knowing that my baby's name was Sam. But she absolutely, or that my grandpa would have been dead. She nailed all of that right out of the blue. So that that was the one that can completely convince me that there are people out there with with real solid abilities. But that being said, I mean, how can you tell when you're dealing with somebody like that? I mean, Stephanie, one of the first things that Stephanie ever told me that made me open to the possibility that she was the real deal was when uh, somebody wanted to talk to her about uh, somebody who recently passed away, and she looked at me and said, no, no, you can't talk to somebody right after they died. Like, they're, they're busy. They're not going to want to talk to me. And I was like, huh, that goes completely against most psychics who would be like, yes, come and spend $300 and I can help you connect with your loved one who passed away yesterday. Right. 
Well, or or if the person's uh, you know in front of a group of people, <laughs> John Edward did this. I uh, watched the show a few times. They'd be like, "Oh yeah, there's someone here." I was thinking about somebody whose name begins with the letter J. Oh wait, it's you. It's your dad, grandpa, brother, sister. Oh, it's your sister. Okay, yeah. So I mean, there's 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 that sort of thing that's fairly obvious. Is there someone? Uh, you know, I mean. Obviously, there's there's been many investigators over the years who have utilized psychics on investigations. You know, going back to Harry Price did it, Hans Holzer did it. There's a lot of people that do it now. Is there is there someone that you would say this is a person that I'd want to take alongside with me if I was going out and researching this stuff? Somebody who can make those type of connections, or would you rather just be somebody who is there getting the experience without somebody there to interpret what's happening? It's uh, for me. I, I would again, being a journalist, I would just go with the people experiencing things. Um, if I were actually going to go out, um, you know, wanting uh, a psychic's experience, the only person that I knew that that I would want to would be be Joyce, mm-hmm. and she passed away about six years ago from cancer. So, wow. Well, but, I guess I could still take her, but uh, I wouldn't know about it. Well, but uh, I mean, if you if you are going out there and experiencing something, like let's just say you're approaching this from a journalistic point of view, you're not you're going to just be observing. You're just going to be reporting on what happens. Uh, what type of uh, a team would you want to see put together to conduct, say, you know, uh, an investigation of a supposedly haunted location? What what type of you know, what kind of cross section of society would you want to see be involved in that? Okay, and here's here's where. Um Here's where I get people angry at me. Um, I, I don't want to see a team. <laughs> I think okay. that's okay, because here's... I'm a scientifically-minded person. Um, I, I've experienced a lot of things uh, uh, related to ghosts and shadow people. I have um, seen some things in the sky that... I, they're not explainable. I don't know what they are. Um, I, I really have a solid feeling that a lot of crypto creatures are probably out there. I think Bigfoot's a good one. There is so much. There is so much evidence for 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 Bigfoot that if you were conducting a murder trial, just from circumstantial evidence, you could convict somebody. Okay, so I I, yeah, I think there's there's a whole lot of things in the paranormal realm, things that are in the paranormal realm that are absolutely real. Um, but when it comes to a team of paranormal investigators. The scientific side of my head says, you guys are out there doing some really good work that's never going to be taken seriously because science is, we do things over and over and over and over again, and we prove it that way because it's the same over and over and over again. You're not going to get a ghost to show up every single night at 10 o'clock in a science lab you know, for a scientist to study it. Um, in, if you want to solve a, a, a crypto creature, you're going to have to kill a Bigfoot. You're just going to have to put a bullet in its head and drag it into a lab someplace. Uh, it's, like I said, there are a lot of people out there doing solid work and getting solid evidence, in my opinion, that's not going to, you know, according to science, it doesn't matter. Right, I mean, and that's, that's the problem is... I see a lot of groups and investigators that say, well, you know, we take things scientifically. Well, you, actually, you don't because there's no science behind what you're doing. You know, you're, you're kind of misappropriating science to be able to do what you're doing. 
But that being said, there's you know there's still a, a method that you can follow that can be generally accepted. It's just not going to be generally accepted by all of quote unquote hard science. Right by the people that everybody else is going to listen to. That's that that's the problem. I mean, I I've been on on uh, a, a lot of a lot of ghost hunts. Um, you know, with, with people when, when I've written stories on them, and they've come up with things that I've, you know, we've walked into these, this Pythian Castle in, uh, in in Springfield, Missouri, is haunted as hell. <laughs> we experienced some things there that were nerve, that were chilling, you know, it grated on my nerves, they were terrified me. But any of the, the stuff that we captured, you know, nobody, not, nobody in the science field is going to take it seriously. Which I mean, some of the the, um, the the EVPs that we collected, oh my God, they were amazing and and really scary. But yeah, that was it. See, but there's, I mean, there's been some people who have some sci- legit, bless you, Stephanie, some legitimate scientists who have gotten behind this, like uh, Dr. Brian Josephson over in the UK, who is a Nobel Prize winning physicist who has spent years researching the paranormal. Uh, you have guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who are, you know, pop culture scientists. Uh, you know, they're the ones that people listen to, who he's kind of flip-flopped a little bit about things uh, over the past, but uh, but he, he accepts that people are having these experiences. He just doesn't think that they're actually ghosts or dead people. So if there's, you know, enough of that window, maybe it's enough to kind of get other people to believe. Uh, you know, Matt Moniz, uh, my, my usual, one of my usual co-hosts who's not here tonight, he's a chemist. And he said that the biggest reason why science won't ever recognize the paranormal is because he can't figure out how to make money off of it. That's legitimate. A- absolutely. Uh, wh- one of the guys, uh, one of the scientists you left out was uh, anthropologist uh, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Mel- Meldrum, mm-hmm. uh, who's convinced that Bigfoot exists. I mean, good for him. I want more people in his position to go out there and, you know, try and try and prove that these things exist. I mean, I, that's that's what I write about these things for. Like I said, I'm convinced a lot of these things in the paranormal realm are real. It's just it's just proving is the problem. But I mean, do we really need science to back it up if enough people have been experiencing it? You know, if, if there's enough people that are having these these incidents and enough people are reporting them, people that we genuinely believe, do we really need science to kind of come down and say, okay, now we buy into it before we can say, all right, this is this is a legitimate phenomena? I mean, just look at, and I don't want to make this political at all, but just look at the way that the government is operating these days, where it doesn't, you know, it no longer takes Congress approving something. For it to happen, it no longer takes Congress being behind something for it to become the new reality. So maybe that's what it can be. You know, maybe if we just have somebody who is enough of a loud voice or enough collective loud voices, we can kind of influence what people will be willing to believe, even if we don't have that established body willing to accept it as being "quote unquote" truth. Well, let's hope so. I mean, uh, Copernicus was uh, was excommunicated from the Catholic Church from his beliefs about uh, you know, the Earth and the Sun. Um, they apologized eventually. Uh, the Catholic Church <laughs> right. did, but uh, it took a few hundred years. You know, I, it, I, I don't know. Uh, let, let's look at uh, this. Is I, I love to point this out about about uh, a ghost in a ghost in Bigfoot because looking at, at evidence and and people, um, you know, a, a lot of trustworthy people. What other than Antarctica? Every continent and 
uh, in, in the world has Bigfoot. Every right. continent in the world has had ghost reports. Every civilization that we know of has you know, ghost stories. Mm-hmm. You know, these They were unconnected, or maybe they weren't, depending on who you talk to, for you know, thousands of years. If those stories aren't proof enough, you know, it's... Science has got to bottle something first. Well, I mean, I suppose you can look at it from some from the perspective of saying, well, of course, every culture and every language has always had a word for ghost because every person has always been afraid of there being nothing after they die. So they want to have this concept that we go on and we exist after the fact. But you would have to think there would be some sort of pockets of culture where we would say, uh, no, that doesn't happen. You know, no, we don't believe in this. That there would be some religion that has come up that didn't believe in the possibility of life after death. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be the case. There always seems to be this idea, almost as if at some point it was told to everyone that this happens and that it will happen and that it can happen. And so as once upon a time we were all living on Pangea and it happened, and then we kind of spread out across with it where – We've never seen anything. We've never seen enough proof to disprove that original belief. Or maybe it's not just an original belief. Maybe every culture has experienced it. Right. I mean, if it was, if it was that, it wouldn't it have. You mentioned the Greek gods and, and the, uh, you know, the Roman gods. Wouldn't that have been something that would have passed? Wouldn't have ghosts have just eventually become some obscure part of history where we say, "Oh, remember when we used to believe in those?" Uh, well, yeah, except for the, the Greek gods. I, I think Zeus probably stopped you know, turning into a swan and having sex with everybody. Well, that was his uh, biggest at, mistake. At some point. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, ghosts keep appearing all the time. Right. So, yeah, no, I mean, they, the Greek gods stopped. I mean, ghosts didn't. Uh, and the biggest mistake he ever made was not turning into a swan, because that's how he got caught. Yeah. So Which his, is a lesson for everybody out there. Yeah, his wife was fine with it as long as he was in goose form. So, uh, is that where we get the term goosing somebody? No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, as, as you're experiencing, uh, as you're chronicling all these things, rather, and as you're writing about all these things, has there been any type of phenomena that you have either heard about or written about or researched where, you know, you you don't feel like uh, you've wanted to go down that path? You mentioned the black-eyed children as being something that your wife asked you not to go down that path. But has there, has there been anything that was either too much trepidation on your part or just too weird for you? Is there anything that you didn't want to kind of dive into? Uh, God, I've got to answer this honestly, yes, but I also can't tell you, I can't, I can't explain it. Um, there was, there was, there was something and it was, it, it was a haunted object and, and I was asked to write about it and it, I, I was really tempted, but, but the object frankly scared the hell out of me, so. Uh, I, I didn't do it, and I, I really can't talk about what it was. So, but just, I've had people on shows for the last five years uh, uh, on interviews asking me what that object was, and I, I can't. I don't even feel comfortable talking, mentioning it at all. But it was just something that you said. I can't bring this thing into into my life. I, I don't. I don't want any. I don't want the attention uh, drawn toward me at all. Has there been any particular? Uh, you know, any particular story that you've heard that you've said, that's just too wild for me? I mean, uh, not specifically, but anything where it could have been anything from a ghost or a shadow person experience or anything where you've said, I, I just, I can't believe this. 
Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. For, for my, my um, book on Shadow People, um, I, I interviewed uh, about two, three hundred people on, on that. And there were a lot of stories that I didn't include. Uh, because, I mean, having kids uh, uh, who are close to teenage years, I think I have a pretty good BS detector. I hope I do. And as a journalist, I, I honed it. Um, so I can pretty much tell when somebody's feeding me a line. And the, the stories that I included were ones that I was convinced the people telling me the story were convinced they experienced it. Mm-hmm. So there have been a ton of stories that, that I had never written on just because I wasn't convinced. One, either the person was sincere or that I don't really think it happened. See, because that's where, coming at this from a journalistic approach, that's where I think it can be a little bit of a, of a hindrance, at least in my experiences, because we really can't say that one sounds more believable than another or one sounds less than believable if we don't really know what the nature of any of this stuff actually is. So we have to be willing to suspend some level of belief and to say, okay, as weird as that sounds, you think that it happened to you. I can't say that it didn't because I wasn't there. So you do get that built-in BS detector, but at the same time, sometimes that can kind of narrow your vision a little bit too much from the stories that you're collecting. Well, yes, except for I, I, I talk. I try to get a good feel of the person. I talk with, with people whenever I interview them, not just about their encounter. I, I mean, I, I talk with them about them, and I try to get a good feel for the person as well. I mean, it takes a long, it takes a long time to interview somebody when I'm doing it. Uh, and if somebody, okay, here's my general line with people. If they've encountered something, I mean, if they've, if they've seen Bigfoot, if they've, you know, had a ghost encounter, if they've seen a black-eyed kid, UFO, you know, whatever, uh, they've encountered somebody who they think is, is possessed by, by a demon. What, whatever they, they, paranormal thing that they've, they've encountered, um, that, I will take that at face value if they seem sincere enough and if they seem like a sane person. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of people I've interviewed, and this is where I draw the line, if they will claim... Yes, I've seen a UFO. I, I've seen their occupants. And then later in our discussion, you know, they also remote view. They've also, you know, seen a ghost. They have a vortex in their house. They've given JFK a back rub in the last two days. And, you know, they've, they've you know, had a, had a cake party with Bigfoot. You know, it's, if somebody's had too much stuff going on, they're not credible anymore. Right. I mean, I, I, I can understand that. One of, one of the things, too, that I've noticed in, in journal, working in journalism and is that over the last, you know, five, ten years with the explosion of social media and with everybody trying to fight to be who is first, and sometimes it's more important to be first and to be right and all these, you know, different new media approaches. That one of the th- Don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I've... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, one of the things that I've... <laughs> I've noticed that there's more of trying to work the why into things. So it's not it's not just about reporting the facts and reporting the information, but about why it matters to you and, and why you should be paying attention to it and having to include that into your writing, which is somewhat subjective, really, but you have to kind of take things from that approach. And the paranormal seems to always be that way. You know, you you just can't give somebody the the who, what, the when, and the where of what happened. You have to give them the why you should pay attention to it and why you might have a similar connection to it. Is that something that you find that with these 
stories that you've collected? Are you is that just a natural thing that's woven into this? The 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 bigger picture. Well, well the, the, I mean, is this me speculating why, or, or trying to find out from them why it happened? I, I guess so. You have to have a little bit of that into it, because you can't just collect these stories and, and just have a bunch of trees without trying to put them all together into a forest. Well, no, yeah, yeah you, you can. I mean, I if somebody's, um, you know, if, if somebody was riding their their, you know. Uh, their, you know, motorcycle or their motorcycle late at night coming home and, you know, saw a, a big, you know, light sitting on the highway. And then they woke up two hours later with, uh, you know, a scoop mark on their stomach or something. Um, what's the, what's the why? I mean, there, there, there isn't, there isn't a why there. Something happened to that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if somebody, um, and, and I, this, this was a story that was, was kind of creepy to me, which I really like. Uh, yeah, this, this family was, 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 was fine. Nothing paranormal happened what's happening whatsoever. And the, uh, the, the daughter had a baby. And the, uh, her uncle, who was dating this, this woman who was uh, you know, into, into some uh, satanic sort of things, knits blankets and gave her a blanket. And all of a sudden, all sorts of crazy stuff happened in the house. And they ended up, you know, taking the blanket out into a dirt road and setting it on fire. And everything, you know, stopped. Everything bad stopped happening. So what's the why? Eh, maybe the new girlfriend's kind of creepy. So some things there's whys, and, and other things there's, I don't know, they're not. Why'd you have a Bigfoot encounter? I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm, I think we've certainly opened up some uh, some doors that we can go down again in the future. Uh, we've had a fascinating discussion. I'm sorry that we can only do it for an hour, but we'd love to have you back on again sometime. Oh, yeah, it's been an hour already. That went really, really fast. And it was supposed to be a 90-minute interview, but I, I had a wrestling event earlier tonight, and I was afraid I was going to be here late, so I didn't want to have to, like, jump into the middle of a discussion that you were already having with my other co-host. So I apologize for that. That was my fault for the change. But, uh, yeah, no, no, no worries, no worries. Things happen. These wrestling events are for charity, so I can't start complaining. I can't have a diva contract as the ring announcer and be like, "I have to be out by nine forty-five. So. Oh, you were the ring announcer. You didn't pounce on somebody from the turnbuckle. Not yet. The only the only person I've ever actually assaulted in the ring is uh, Tim Dennis from from Darkness Radio, but he deserved it. He oh. earned it. Tim Tim seems like a decent guy. He oh, is. He, didn't hurt him. he is, but when he's in the ring and he's playing the heel commissioner role. Yeah, something changes in that guy. <laughs> but I uh, definitely want to have you back on again. Uh, so let everybody know where they can find all of your work and, and where they can follow along with you. Uh, well, yeah, I, uh, uh, everything can be found on my website, jasonoffit.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-O-F-F-U-T-T.com. Um, I, my blog, I've got a link there. I've got... Uh, uh, links to all my books. I've got uh, links to columns. I, I write... Uh, I wrote a lot of paranormal columns a few years ago. Uh, archives are there, and I also write uh, write a lot of humor. Uh, there's also links to my fiction book, fiction fiction books as well. And I think everybody should go and check out your books, and especially pick up How to Kill Monsters Using Common Household Items. Because well, thanks, thanks for that plug. Uh, uh, somebody somebody posted the other day on Twitter that 
for all your defense against the dark arts needs. And uh, there's a link to my book, so I appreciate <laughs> I that, whoever did it. I also like how on your page you have to put underneath it parody, because there's probably a good portion of people that don't realize that. Right, and you know what? Some probably don't. You know, go go for it, except for the you know killing your evil twin. That's That's something I don't want people to do. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jason Offit, for joining us, and uh, we look forward to talking to you on down the line. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good evening. You as well. That that app that hour did absolutely fly by. It did. It was uh, it was a great, fascinating discussion, especially covering it from a journalistic point of view. You know, that's that's how Jeff Belanger and I first started talking about things. Is like, huh, kind of funny. You wrote these stories for a newspaper and I write these stories for a newspaper and it's people think that it's oh it's a fun assignment right you get to write about ghosts for Halloween but it's it's hard it's hard to write about the paranormal for a non-paranormal audience it was funny every every question that I thought I might have or something I wanted to cover you definitely it was like you were reading my mind it was stop sending weird. them to me psychically I'm sorry. Just ask them I, have yourself. To, I have to work on that it's a little well, difficult. I've spent so much time with you lately. It's well, weird. Well, next week you don't have to deal with me asking any of the questions. Right. Because I won't be here. No, it'll be Lynn Marie and myself, and we will be doing readings. So it'll get it'll get weird for sure. Oh, that's great. So you got to really learn how to press these buttons. I do need to learn next. the buttons. Absolutely. We'll make sure that you're all ready to go. <laughs> Thank God for Matt Costa. He will be here, and uh, and we will have a show for you next week. Again, I won't be here, but the rest of the crew will handle things and i'll be back in a couple of weeks with some stories about paranormal fun on the strange escapes cruise yes and plenty of stories that i won't be able to tell either because right that's what happens it'll be interesting for sure to hear them so until until next time for matt for matt for chris for stephanie for melody i'm tim we want you all to stay spooktacular